0: you're listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast.
1: Brought to you in association with OvertimeIreland.com. Now, here's the OTI guys.
2: Hello and welcome back to the OTI Podcast. Yet again, it is myself, Column Kelly, bringing you the show. I've tried again to switch things up. Doug has me uh, a bit paranoid about my intro to the show, but I guess I'll continue in my normal tone and try to get through it, uh, it was, uh, on the other side of the line. It was, a little,
0: it was a little bit different this time.
2: A little bit different, Doug, but still sounds uh, very much the same. Uh, joining me on the line, obviously, as my co host here on the OTI podcast, it is Doug Moore, and I'm looking forward to talking. Uh, about the NFL Draft, in particular with him. There's a little bit of news this week, but it's been kind of a, a quiet week overall, obviously training camps and so on, uh, starting up this week. But uh, I'm very delighted to be joined on the show today as well by another guest, and it is Mark Schofield of Inside the Pylon. Uh, Mark, thanks for jumping aboard the show.
1: Oh, calm, Doug. Thanks for having me on, guys.
2: Yeah, this is one that's been... Uh, you know, Doug Doug said, I said, who will we get this week? Doug mentioned you, and I was thinking, like, that is something that... It's like We've talked about it lots of times in the past, but just it hasn't uh, clicked uh, for whatever reason. So uh, it's great to get it to get it going now on the, on the show. And uh, Obviously, you're with Inside the Pylon, and uh, you're working now as well with the Bleacher Report in the NFL 1000. Uh, last week, we had Charles McDonald on, and he's obviously part of the team there with the NFL 1000 as well. So looking forward to getting your uh, some of your perspectives as you cover the wide receivers and tight ends for that. So um, lots and lots of fun stuff to talk about as well as the NFL Draft coming up later in the show. Uh, Doug, obviously, um, I try and let you speak as little as possible on the podcast, but uh, how's things for you?
0: Yeah, I'm trying to work around it. I'm just going to start interrupting you whenever I want to talk. Uh, no, I'm, do- I'm doing well, thank you for asking. Uh, it's, been a, uh, uh, it's been an eventful week. Obviously, the NFL draft right around the corner, lots of Patriots news over the past couple of days, so try and dissect that all as well. So it's been a busy week, but uh, inching ever so closely to uh, the NFL draft is always exciting.
2: Yeah, and for those who listened into last week's podcast, uh, hopefully, obviously, they enjoyed it. Uh, towards the last kind of 10 minutes or so, uh, some people might have noticed that there was uh, a huge uh, disappearance of Doug and uh, Doug and charge very rapidly from the show, just down to some technical issues with uh, my microphone. So, using uh, an older microphone today, so hopefully, things uh, go nice and smooth as the show progresses here. Uh, looking forward to this one as i mentioned already obviously starting off the show i like to give a plug to itunes and stitcher all the ways you can listen to the podcast you can stream it as well on overtimeireland.com definitely make sure you subscribe to the podcast and get each and every episode once it goes live i know uh, you can go on itunes and check if there's new episodes but if you are subscribed uh, it comes up uh, probably about an hour and a half two hours quicker so uh, get it instantly and all the good ways there Also, before we get into the topics, I want to take a second to remind all the listeners of this special promotion code we have OTI10 to get 10% off all orders at europe.nflshop.com. Uh, You have heard of nflshop.com. Well, this is the European equivalent. Uh, All the same branded merchandise. Really have everything covered that you want to get. uh, All the new area gear and so on and so forth there. Uh, Get some new merchandise ahead of the NFL draft. Or even after, if you're waiting for after the NFL draft, this code will still be valid. All you have to do at checkout is use the code OTI10. Type it in there. You'll save 10% off your entire order on the website. The website is europe.nflshop.com. That code is OTI10. Grab yourself some merch. Um, I started last week's show, um, Mark, talking to Charles about the defensive tackles in the Bleacher Report uh, NFL 1000. So I'm going to do the same with you this week, and uh, you've covered wide receivers and tight ends uh, for that. Is there any uh, wide receivers or tight ends in particular you kind of look forward to getting to study the tape each and every week? You think, oh yeah, I can't w- can wait to see what this guy does this week.
1: Yeah, calm. I mean that's a good question. What was interesting about you know doing that for Bleacher Report and their NFL 1000 project? This year was the way we split it up with, you know, myself and Marcus Marsher. Like he would take, I took the NFC to start and then switched to the AFC for the back half of the season. I was able to, you know, get my eyes on a lot of different guys. And, you know, one guy that really kind of jumped out to me early on when we were doing the work last offseason to get ready for the start of the year and sort of doing sort of a preseason look at everybody was Cole Beasley the slot receiver for the Dallas Cowboys, who was somebody that was really kind of under my radar. And I think under a lot of people's radars, but the more I watched him from last year and then getting to start to watch him, you know, at the start of the season, you know, he's one of those guys that he's open almost all the time. And obviously like, I think, you know, there was a play earlier in this year when he had sort of a double move on the goal line and he was just running a quick out route, but you know, slanted to the inside at first and broke to the outside and everybody, you know, was kind of retweeting that when it came up in gift format and people were talking about that, but that's stuff that he's, you know been doing for a while he was doing it last year and so you know he's kind of a guy that I wasn't expecting a lot from but when I started watching him I really was kind of kind of very impressed with his ability as a route runner so he's somebody that you know in doing the NFL 1000 project that kind of I was able to open my eyes to
2: yeah I think it was uh two seasons ago he kind of had a quite a nice season and then last year he kind of really kind of dropped back into the the background again. And uh, this year, again, then he stepped up a little bit. Uh, He's an interesting player to watch, but he was somebody who, not last off-season, but two off-seasons ago I was kind of interested in, and then he he kind of let me down. But last year definitely had some very nice weeks. Uh, You mentioned him kind of being under the radar. Is he somebody... Maybe in the same kind of frame, uh, maybe as a Julian Edelman, or who would you give a, a comp to him as a, a Yeah, no,
1: I think the comp, the, the, the Julian Edelman sort of comparison, is, it's it's a good one for a number of reasons. I mean, one, I mean, they're similarly built, similarly styled type of players. The play style is similar. They're both they're white. You no, know, there, there's that too, of course, which helps. Um, you know, as much as you know, we try not to make, the, you know, the, those kind of the comparisons. The white receiver. I receiver. Mean, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think the routes that they're asked to run are very similar, sort of pivot routes, option routes. Um, they have both have the ability to work on the boundary a little bit. And they're both kind of always open. I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, if you're a Patriots fan, if you watch the Patriots, if you study them, Edelman always kind of seems to be open. He always just somehow, even though teams have probably known that, you know, the Patriots are going to run their offense through him at times, he somehow still gets open. It's the same thing for Beasley. Like, even if the pass doesn't come to him, chances are he's going to be open.
2: Yeah, and uh, I think uh, it's going to be interesting because I've noticed in, in any of the leagues I'm in with uh, analysts, you know, covering fantasy football, there's a lot of, you know, certain players start to get a little bit more valuable that other leagues that you can buy up cheap. So I've noticed in a few leagues, Cole Beasley is one of those kind of things. You think you might be able to buy him cheap. And uh, some of the kind of, the more people in the no leagues, it's harder to, to price him away a little bit. And that'll be interesting to see what he does this year as Dak Prescott progresses into his second season. Uh, another one that I was looking for—I already kind of mentioned it. You mentioned him as probably an under the radar guy, but is there anyone that you think that could have a major breakout uh, in twenty seventeen? Uh, you know, whether it's wide receiver or tight end, just basically by looking at that. That you kind of mentioned Beasley, and he probably fell into that category. But anyone else?
1: Um, I mean, two guys that you know. We've been doing some draft guide work, um, which has allowed me kind of revisit. Um, some of the guys from last season and going through their notes and the stuff that I had on them and two guys, um, one wide receiver Mark Marquise Lee um, for the Jacksonville Jaguars yeah. who, you know, they have got a trio of talented wide receivers and Allen Robinson, Allen Hearns and Lee and Lee had the best season out of the three guys last year and you know, and, and watching him play and kind of, you know, being able to study his tape a little bit. I mean, there's some areas that stands out. I mean, he's built more like your standard sort of slot-type guy, but, you know, he's got the speed to work downfield. He's a threat in the vertical passing game. He can get separation on routes, whether against press or against off coverage, make some great adjustments to the flight of the ball, whether it's back shoulder throws from Bortles or, you know, just deep balls and tracking them over the shoulder. So Lee's a guy that I think, you know, provided Bortles can finally do what he's – capable of, I think Lee could have a nice season. And at the tight end spot, I mean, a guy to keep an eye on is Jack Doyle. I mean, Indianapolis has really kind of decided that, look, he's their tight end now. They traded away Dwayne Allen to the Patriots, feeling that they were confident enough in what Doyle was able to do last year. He really took a step forward for them offensively. They kind of used him all over the field. They used him as a blocking back at times, but they also did a lot with him in the passing game. You know, kind of caught a clutch touchdown in the last game of the season, although it didn't really matter in terms of playoffs, but to able to get a win against Jacksonville. And so they kind of turned that position over to him. And so, you know, if you're sort of in a deeper league, um, you know, he's a guy to keep an eye on if some of those tight ends go early. Or if you're in a league that kind of gives, you know, sort of the tight end bump, the tight end credit, sort of like the Scott Fishbowl last yeah. year did, he's a guy to keep an eye on.
2: Yeah, definitely in those tight end premium leagues. And obviously the contract that he was given shows that the the Colts have faith in him. You mentioned Marquise Lee as well. Obviously out of those three that you mentioned for the Jaguars, he's the, the highest draft capital as well. He was taken... Uh, was, uh, was it in the second round? And uh, that year, they took Bartles and then uh, Alan Robinson was taken later. I think it was second round, wasn't
1: it? I think that's right, yeah.
2: yeah. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's going to be interesting to see. His problem with the first two years in the league was always that he just could not stay healthy. So when he, he got on the field last season, we've seen him uh, turn some of those opportunities in, into production. So it's going to be interesting to see if he can develop as, as things move forward. Uh, NFL-wise, not a huge amount of news this week, but coming out today, we're recording this Wednesday, uh, news that... Uh, James White of the uh, New England Patriots signed a, a new contract with them. Then uh, Gillisley as well looks to be heading that way from Buffalo. So I want to let Doug take into the NFL news. Was there anything, Doug, in the news that stood out? And then, of course, going through all that New England uh, backfield news, how the hell are we going to decipher what happens in New England this season?
0: Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, it's been really a slow sort of NFL overall news week. Yeah. I mean, I think the Patriots have dominated the headlines for much of the offseason, just between their trades, uh, for Brandon Cooks, you know, for signing uh, Stefan Gilmore, you know, the Malcolm Butler stuff. You know, th- there's been this whole, and then obviously Adrian Pierce and Richard Sherman, Jimmy Garoppolo, they just dominate the headlines. So really, it sort of starts with the Patriots, and they're, they're sort of the um, the spark that gets everything going. But, um, no, I think I think problem, the problem with, with the draft being, you know, a week or so away now, we hear all this smoke about, Players like I think we saw uh, just you know over the past couple of days you know stuff about Ruben Foster is he he's sliding down some boards uh, now we hear about this Joe Mixon now another situation that happened in high school that's already been sort of refuted it's just there's a whole bunch of stuff that's really just festering and it's going to create all this smoke and and stuff like that but it, that's really the season for it. Um, in terms of you know the Patriots news, obviously there's been a couple things going on the past couple days. I guess the first thing I'll hit on is it was just reported by Field Yates that um, Trey Jackson, the uh, Florida State guard that was released by the Patriots, uh, I'm sorry, waived uh, yesterday, has already been claimed by the Rams. Uh, so that'll be interesting. They also, uh, for those who don't remember, they signed Dominic uh from the Patriots after he was released last season. So um, definitely uh, hoping to get something out of him, I'm assuming. Uh, but yeah, the Mike Gillisley news it's just a fit that sort of has, has, has sort of been in the works for a while. Like, a, like Rex Burkhead too. Like everybody's like, oh, Rex Burkhead is a guy that the Patriots would want. You know, he's a jack of all trades under the radar guy who didn't really have much use with the team that he was with before. That's sort of the situation with Mike Gillisley. sitting behind a workhorse like LaShawn McCoy. Um, but he showed really well in short spurts, especially when McCoy was injured and, and stuff like that. And obviously that being a run heavy team, um, You know, a very explosive, very athletic guy who, you know, I think has shown ability to play in all three downs. Um, And I I think, you know, this is similar to the the Chris Hogan thing from from last season. They're taking a chance on a restricted free agent. This one actually costs them draft capital if they do actually sign him. Um, But, yeah, I I think this is really just a sign that I'm not too – I'm not too surprised about. Uh, it's a little late, but it is interesting to see, especially after they already got Burkhead, and they, um, they also re-signed uh, James White to a long-term extension. I don't want to take up too much time, but um, Gillisley makes a lot of sense. James White makes a lot of sense as well, re-signing him especially for only $12 million over three years, uh, plus he's on the last year of his rookie deal. Um, just because, you know, out of all five of the running backs that are currently on their roster – uh, only DJ Foster was on uh, on under contract beyond next season, so they needed to get some guys under contract beyond <laughs> that, and uh, it makes sense uh, so that- for James White to play at that value. Um, I don't. I think this might signal the end of Dion Lewis after next season. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading into it too early, but especially with Gillislee, Burkhead, now White, the Patriots have made a lot of waves plus Blount as well uh, with the running backs, especially going into a, a running back heavy class. So definitely some Patriots news to catch up on.
2: Yeah, I think it pretty much means the end of Le Blunt uh, in New England. I guess yes. maybe they want they want more running backs. But uh, it was kind of one of those things, no. you know, uh, when I heard of the Gilleslie news uh, kind of yesterday when the, the, they were talking about the offer sheet, you know, I thought, oh, well, maybe that's James White's going to be moved and Deion Lewis is going to have a more prominent role again this year. But it just seems to be that uh, they're going to stock up, obviously, as a position where uh, injuries occur at a, quite a frequent basis, so maybe just trying to stock that up. But four very good running backs, all that can do different jobs. It's going to be interesting to see how they shake shake it out, but as I mentioned a few weeks ago in the podcast, it's going to be very hard to trust any wide receiver or uh, running back just for a weekly production uh, with the New England Patriots as things can change so much uh, on week to week. Last year we kind of uh, there was, there was only kind of you, you had your blunt games or you had your Dion Lewis or James White games, but uh, now it's going to be so hard to decipher all that stuff. Just one other thing, Doug. Before we move on uh, to the draft, uh, you're going to be covering the draft for Scout uh, up at Gillette Stadium, and I know you just heard about this shortly before coming on the podcast. So, any details to, to share with the listeners?
0: Uh yeah, yeah. I appreciate the uh, the plug. Yeah, I found out only minutes before we started recording that um, I will actually be heading to Gillette. Um, Probably on Friday and Saturday, just because the Patriots don't have any picks right now uh, um, on Thursday on the first night of the draft. Uh, But I will be going there and I'll actually be with the media uh, covering as they they go through the draft on uh, Friday and Saturday as of right now. But it could be Thursday, too, if they go and uh, they trade Garoppolo or Butler and get a first round pick. So, uh, yeah, I will be going and covering that. Um, I covered a couple of games over the course of the regular season, got my first real taste, and um, it's gonna be exciting to see this. Um, I think it's gonna be fun and, and really be able to be around Patriots, um, you know, personnel, players, coaches, as uh, as you know, maybe the picks come in, only being you know, feet or, or you know, in the same vicinity as the war room. Maybe I can. I can sneak in and hear what Bill Belichick is saying. But, no, it's, it's an awesome opportunity, and I, I'm
2: excited for it. Yeah, it should be a fun opportunity. And uh, just when we mentioned, you know, you talked about the league news and so on. Was there anything that you wanted to add to any NFL news over the, the last week, Mark, that you wanted to, to give a note on, or it was quite a quiet week in general?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Colin, I think it was pretty much just a quiet week because yeah. now, you know, most teams are pretty much in draft mode now. They've, they've done all their work. They've got their board set. They've had, you know, they've pretty much all had their final... Um, board set in meetings where they kind of get together with all the scouting department and the yeah. organization, they set their boards and now they're just ready to go, I mean I'm sure teams are starting to work the phones now I'm sure Cleveland's phone is running off the hook about tr- people trying to get up to one but, you know, I think the teams are just ready for the draft to come
2: Yeah, and uh, I sent over the layout for today's show to both Doug and Mark and uh, I've written here, NFL news, comma no real news, so I guess we'll skip over the rest of the news <laughs> Right so uh, yeah. moving on to the draft Mark and uh, we still don't really know in this class who the, the top quarterback is and I know you would like to look uh, deep into the quarterbacks but uh, with where they'll go, whether uh, how many will go in the first round, you know there's a possibility Deshaun Watson, Mitchell Trubisky, Deshaun Kaiser and Patrick Mahomes, they're the ones who have been talked about those four, uh, who out of that group is your top quarterback and uh, then how many do you expect to uh, to go in round one overall yeah,
1: I wonder uh, who Ooh. yeah I wonder who I mean if you could f- we have f- to yeah. just we have
2: to like have some suspense here
1: right yeah I mean you want a little done it in reverse do a little drum roll or something <laughs> yeah um, no I mean for for me it's the Sean Watson and I've kind of been on that hill for a while yeah. now and you know it, it, there have certainly been instances where you know there were some off ramps um, available to me or others that were on that hill or on that highway I mean you know he obviously had a little bit of a slower start this year than people would have expected um, through 17 interceptions um, he wins the national championship. Everybody seems to be getting back on board with his throwing performance at the combine, but then that velocity number gets dropped and people see 49 miles per hour and they start to worry all over again. Um, but I've never fully wavered on him. And, you know, for a number of reasons from traits to what he can do sort of as a, a leader of a team um, to the way that he sort of processes information pre snap and post snap. And for a number of you know other reasons, like I've just never really wavered. And I think you know if I were in a room for a team that needed a quarterback and we were on the clock and he was available, I would be jumping up and down, screaming, banging the table, throwing things, like whatever it needed to happen, whatever I had to do to you know get somebody's attention that we need to draft this guy. That's what I would be doing.
2: Uh, the other question I had then when I talked about those other quarterbacks, this year's class kind of versus last year's class. You know, you had Wentz last year, you had Golf. Uh, both taken in those first two picks and it didn't really seem to be at the time that there was a lot of people saying no this this isn't the way it should be and this year the the class has been kind of talked down or dampened on do you think that's maybe because how Goff uh, played last year you know how you know Wentz had his moments but then uh, finished the season a little bit slower do you think that uh, this year's class has been overlooked a little bit?
1: I tend to think so. I mean, you know, I'm working on some pieces for ITP right now, where I'm kind of just, like, doing a sort of brain dump on my thoughts on, you know, sort of my, like, top, like, 18 or so quarterbacks in this class, and you know, just some general thoughts for each one and as well some general thoughts on this class and, you know, I I like the guys at the top of this year's class more than last year's, Um, even though I was kind of high on both Goff and Wentz and, you know, was talking them up a lot. You know, I look at the sort of big four in this group of, you know, Watson, Kaiser, Mahomes, and Trubitsky, and I kind of like what they can become as pro quarterbacks more than you know, what I was seeing from Goff and Wentz last year. But I think, you know, when you get sort of deeper, I kind of like the depth more in last year's class. I think last year's class had some like day three options that were more intriguing and guys that could play sooner in their careers. Then you start to look at this class and it's more, you know, the day three guys are more developmental types. So I, I think overall, you know, it's a solid class, but it's a little bit different than last year's. And I think, you know call kind of to your point I I like the guys at the top more I think they should be getting a lot more credit than they are
2: yeah I think that's pretty fair but I think uh, you know th- this year just in general it seems to be a, there's a dampener around the class and I think as we get I know there's only a week to go to the draft but I think as we get closer we'll start to, to hear a little bit more positive talk about those guys last question before I get uh dug back on to, to ask a few questions and it's uh, a Twitter question coming from Neil Dutton he's wondering if the, the Browns pass up are they passed up on Wentz last year the Cleveland Browns, if they were to take Trubisky uh, first overall, how long should we point and laugh at them for?
1: Oh god I, I, first off, Neil is such a good guy man, so it was great to get a question from him, he's such a good guy Twitter, His questions
2: man. are generally like this <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, we definitely got to give his handle a plug because he's always worth a fall oh, yeah, on Twitter. Definitely. But, yeah, um, you know, as far as, look, Trubitsky's my quarterback four in this class. And so I, I think that if they take him one overall, there will be some people that would might be on board with that because there are people that, you know, and that's something about this quarterback class in general is that, you got four different guys at the top. You'll get, ask four people, you might get four different answers on who QB1 is. And I know that Trubisky does have some fans and he certainly does have some upside to him when you watch him play. But I've got some reservations about him from a decision-making standpoint, from an accuracy and mechanical standpoint. And so if the Browns do that at one, I know... We might see sad Mike Nuttle. Mike Nuttall, another ICP guy who's a huge Browns fan. He's going to be sad. Um, obviously, we can all kind of like look at look at the Browns and wonder if they just did another you know Browns type move. with taking Krivitsky number one now. If they get him at twelve, after getting you know Miles Garrett at one, that probably makes a lot more sense. But at one, I just I wouldn't I wouldn't do it.
0: So, so Mark, I'm just curious. You know, we we've seen a lot of talk about you know none of these guys being you know, ready for day one and stuff like that. And just all these different things are going to bring them down. You know, for example, the one thing I wanted to ask you about, I know you touched a lot on, you know, Deshaun Watson and really, you know, going to bat for him. I'm just curious, is this sort of um, talk of, of the offense that Mahomes is coming from in sort of an air raid system at, at, um, at Texas Tech is that really is that really much of a concern I mean you're the QB guy is it overblown or is this something that's really going to be a, a big learning curve for Mahomes as you go into the NFL
1: yeah Doug I mean that's a great question and it's one of the bigger questions surrounding Mahomes sort of you know people look at that air raid system they look at the history of air raid quarterbacks transition to the NFL and it's not a good history But, you know, I think if people kind of take a step back and really look at what Texas Tech was doing offensively um, from a schematic standpoint, it's an air raid offense, but I'd almost kind of term it as an air raid offense on steroids. And, you know, two other guys I'll point to. First off, Ted Wynn, um, at Raiders Analysis on Twitter, helped out with the ITP draft guide, one of our ITP writers. You know, he and I worked on the quarterbacks together for our draft guide, and he studied Mahomes and that offense in depth. And he basically came to me when we were talking about the QBs and said, look, He's going to face, and he's going to have an easier playbook, I think, in the NFL, because what they were doing at Texas Tech with, you know, the read structures that they had, the progressions that they had, the full field reads that they had, the stuff that they put on his plate, you know, it was pretty extensive. He was asked to do a lot in that offense from a mental standpoint, and then Doug Farrar from Bleacher Report, sat down with Mahomes this past week, watched some tape of them, you know, did some work with him in the film room, talked about, you know, the play calls that he had to make and, you know, the terminology that he had. It was very similar to sort of what you'd expect from a West Coast offense and how the terminology and the play call was designed and the stuff that he had to do at the line of scrimmage to get his teammates and the rest of the offense in position for the next play. And so I think when you take that step back and you kind of look at the bigger picture here, Mahomes, yeah, it's an air raid offense, but there's more to it than that. It was much more complex than he's being given credit for. And so I think he's going to face an easier transition than people might expect.
0: Yeah, no, I, I understand. I mean, obviously you, you look at him and what stands out, he's got this huge arm, which, you know, arm strength can often be overrated. I mean, I, I think I've seen some film on him and just really the throws he makes with the effort that he shows at least it's ridiculous how how strong his arm is and how deep down the field he can get it which really could help with more of those vertical threats that can get over the top of a defense um I, i guess another thing and this is probably a generic question that you've been asked a thousand times and it's really it's been pounded um you know throughout the draft season Trubinsky played he started one season at north carolina obviously sat behind marquise williams um how much does that factor in, if at all, in regards to when you evaluate a quarterback and his, and his, you know, potential for the next level at the NFL?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, when you kind of watch Trubitsky, you know, he's kind of the, he's sort of the poster child for why the order in which you watch games matters when you're evaluating these guys. Because, you know, my first exposure to him was, I think, Virginia and watched some other games of his. But then I went back and watched that Georgia game, which was his first collegiate start, And, you know, when I watched that game, guys, my takeaway from that was, look, he does not look ready at all to move to the NFL. This is a guy that's going to need a lot of work. And and so, you know, taking a step back and kind of taking a look at his season as a whole, you know, there's some development there from what he did from his first start to later in the season. And Even though he made some errors in that bowl game to that bowl game against Stanford, like there was definitely a good developmental arc for him as a quarterback. And so I think that's evidence that, yeah, he's only got the 13 starts under his belt. He's probably going to need some developmental time and, you know, a period of time to at least get his feet wet before he really takes over for an NFL team. I still think he can play early in his career, you know, probably even in his rookie season, but I don't know if he'd be ready week one. So, I mean, there's, there's that factor to it where he's, you know, going to need a little bit more time since he's only got those 13 starts, you know, as far as the issue with Marquise Williams and the fact that, you know, he was kind of sitting behind Williams and didn't take over until Williams graduated. I mean that's one of those situations where you're you're a coaching staff and you've got like a veteran leader in the locker room, a guy who's a senior, a guy who's an upperclassman, who the team kind of rallies behind and trusts. It's it's gonna you're gonna have to move earth and fire to really make the switch to an underclassman to a guy like Trubitsky. and this is similar to what Wentz went through when he was coming out. I mean he was behind, you know, North Dakota State's like sort of all time, you know, passing leader and the guy that led them to back to back national championships people you know looked at that quarterback that Wentz was behind and said look he wasn't going to make it to the NFL why couldn't Wentz start ahead of him that's just kind of a factor of what locker rooms are like and what coaching staffs face and if you've got a guy that's been a leader for your team you're not going to turn over the keys to another guy absent injury or something really bad in terms of poor play coming along
2: yeah i think that 's pretty fair a fair way to look at it uh, when you 're looking um you know the, there 's a lot of mock drafts going around at the moment, you know what way things are going to shake out and realistically, the way this draft 's going to shake out, particularly in the first round is what happens with the Cleveland Browns and they obviously have picked one and picked twelve, as you mentioned earlier. Um, do you see them sitting uh, with and staying with pick one and pick twelve, or do you think uh, you know they might look to trade out? You know, I've talked about it a few times in the podcast. You know, they've traded back a couple of years, gathered up those picks, particularly last year, and uh, they're in a really healthy position draft picks wise at the moment. But I think you know, at some time you have to start getting those kind of. The blue chip players are getting those kind of players on the field rather than just gathering up draft picks, and I think with Garrett, they have an opportunity to do that, and then let's see what happens at 12, but do you see them moving? I I really don't. I think the time's right for them to to make a splash with that number one overall pick and see if they can start to, to do something on the field.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think Cleveland sticks at one, they get Garrett, and then they start to see how the draft shakes out, because, you know, I mean, this is one of those interesting drafts in that not only do you have a lot of teams in that first round that, you know, need to fix the quarterback problem now, I mean, you know, you look at San Francisco, yeah, they brought in Brian Hoard, but he's really going to be the answer, maybe in the immediate short term, but probably not long term, the Jets need to figure it out. You know, Houston probably needs to figure out the quarterback problem. Tom Savage probably isn't the answer there. And Cleveland, of course, you know, they need a quarterback as well. But in addition, you've got teams like, you know, the Chargers. They probably could look to get their next guy. Like New Orleans, that could look to get their next guy. The Giants that could look to get their next guy. The Chiefs, Pittsburgh, like you mentioned. I mean, there are a lot of teams in this draft that could address the quarterback position early because they don't have a lot of other holes. Like Kansas City like doesn't have a ton of holes right now. You know, maybe Alex Smith, he's taking them as far as they can go. Maybe they want a guy to get them over the top. And so they think about going quarterback. And so I think if you're Cleveland, you sit there at 12, you start to see how the board shakes out. If quarterbacks fall, if nobody's moving up to get ahead of you to get a quarterback, then you see who, maybe your guy's still there at 12. But if, if trades start to happen and somebody moves up to take a Trubitsky, like watch the Jets at six. Like they could always move back. They need some more picks. They've got a lot of holes. That's kind of the spot where I think – you know, maybe you'll see the first way to trade is the Jets at six or, you know, a dark horse for that is Tennessee at five. And, you know, we've known they've done deals with Cleveland before. And so maybe they do another one, but that's kind of in that five to six range where I think you might see sort of the first trades
2: happen. Yeah. And if you were just having a guess, uh, obviously the first, I think there's no chance a quarterback goes at number one overall, but then you mentioned six with the Jets or 12 with the Browns, but I see a huge possibility maybe some of these teams trying to wait as long as they can and trade back into those kind of spots at the end of the first round, maybe from 24 back to 32 and see if they can get their quarterback there. Similar, although it didn't work out for the Browns a few years ago with Johnny Manziel, and I think that was the same as what uh, the Vikings done with Teddy Bridgewater that same year. So do you think uh, we see that, or do you think, when do you see, realistically, if you had to make a pick now, at what point uh, do you see the first quarterback going off the board, you know, top 10, top 20?
1: I mean I still think one of them goes top ten. I, I, I just stare I'm staring at the draft order right now and I still think it's six. Somebody's gonna come up to get the first quarterback there. I think the Jets trade out. Somebody gets up moves up to get their guy. Um, but if they really start to fall, I, I still stare at Houston at twenty five as sort of being that like fail stop where even if all say, you know, something strange happens and all four of these guys just fall. I think Houston at twenty five, if these guys fall or if their guy falls, whether it's Mahomes or something else. That's a team that has just really one hole right now. And, I, I, you know, you look at what they were able to do. They get to the playoffs. They've got a number of offensive weapons. They've got Hopkins. They've got Fuller on the outside. You know, they've got, you know, two nice tight ends in Fedorowicz and Griffin. Um, Steven Anderson, who was a rookie last year, converted wide receiver out of Cal. So they've got some offensive weapons, a pretty solid offensive line. And they had the number one defense last year without J.J. Watt and so the real glaring hole for them is quarterback and so if you know I think Houston's the back sort of backstop at 25 if guys fall you'll see a guy come off the
2: board there and uh, you can I think you can touch on probably the proper answer as well but I'll let you uh, give your answer to it and that's kind if of if you could put one of these quarterbacks in the perfect landing spot so the player a quarterback you like and you know their talent their ability who could have the biggest impact for that team immediately you know mainly obviously an NFL perspective but from a fantasy perspective too and you you mentioned the Texans you know we looked last year like you know Hopkins had a dip in value uh, and his production based on having Osweiler quarterback Uh, is is there one of those teams that you know the Texans Browns Broncos that you think any of these guys can come in and be a, a perfect fit straight off the bat
1: I mean I'll, I'll give you a couple and part of this might depend on how quickly they get you know they get handed the keys because for example I look at the Arizona Cardinals in a vertical based pass and attack that yeah. Eric Coriel style system. Obviously Carson Palmer's near the end of his career. We don't know you know if he's how many seasons he's got left. You pair him up with you pair a Patrick Mahomes with a Bruce Arians, Eric Coriel style offense. You know, Mahomes obviously has that big arm, the ability to go downfield, that's what yeah. they like to do offensively. Play action. you know, that could pay dividends, you know, pretty quickly. Yeah. I mean if a quarter back like say Deshaun Kaiser is there for Houston at 25 you know they've got more of a timing type of offense that Aaron Perkins style system that Will O'Brien was running when he was in New England but I think Kaiser could come in and run that system and run it fairly effectively and put up decent numbers with the weapons that they have a dark horse to consider is Kansas City at 27 you know like I kind of mentioned earlier you know if they've decided that look maybe we decide to get our next guy early a perfect fit with their offense, I think, would be Deshaun Watson because he's got the process and speed and the accuracy in the short area to run sort of a West Coast offense. But he's a guy that's not afraid to throw downfield. We've seen him make downfield throws, can throw downfield with touch, with precision, with accuracy. But he'll challenge him throwing windows and so make those back shoulder throws that you don't see Alex Smith doing a ton of. And so, you know, that's another marriage where I think if Deshaun somehow falls to Kansas City, they might turn the reins over to him pretty quickly. And that could pay dividends as well from a fantasy and from a real-world perspective. So, so, um, Mark, I, I have to ask just
0: because, uh, you know, it, it's something where <laughs> I've seen it a couple times this offseason, again, maybe another generic question, but really want to get – I don't know if I've ever asked you this before, so uh, this will be interesting. If you had to rank in this class where Jimmy Garoppolo would go, uh, we'll say at the prospect – From when you saw him coming out in 2014, where would you have him in this class?
1: I mean, I'd probably have him QB4. Um, Ah. I'd probably, yeah, I mean, I'd probably from, I mean, if we're looking back to when Garoppolo was coming out, I mean, some of the concerns that we had on him. You know, accuracy was somewhat of an issue. Pocket presence was definitely an issue. Um, didn't have sort of like that toughness in the pocket um, that we had seen some, from some of the other guys. And so I think I would still have probably Watson Mahomes. And, you know, maybe he'd be like in that, you know, 3 3 A spot with Kaiser where, you know, sort of dependent on what you were doing schematically, maybe you'd have Kaiser above him or maybe you'd have Garoppolo above him. But, yeah, that's kind of where I would see him slotted in, in this class.
0: That's, uh, that's certainly interesting because obviously a lot of talk has been controlled by, you know, hey, do the Browns go – and obviously it's died down a lot since February or, or March even, you know, where you know are the Browns going to go after Garoppolo instead and, and, and sign him to a long-term deal. Or whatever the case is, spend whatever the, the capital they needed to on him. Um, and, you know, obviously not much has come out of it, but I, I guess you could say you never know. Maybe the Browns find that – if the guy that they want at the guy that they want at quarterback at twelve, when the draft comes next week, is not there. Maybe they, you know, called the Patriots, get desperate, whatever the case is. So really want to see it because obviously a lot of people are saying, you know, hey, um, you know, Garoppolo is probably the best prospect out of any of them, even though he's only on a one year deal technically. Uh, I, I guess talking about the Browns a little bit, I know that's really dominated see they draft the guy right away I, I am curious and a year ago i i was probably a lot more bullish on this guy and i admitted yesterday that i think he deserves a shot what did you see from cody kessler and his in his uh, his rookie season i know he obviously dealt with a couple injuries but you think that you know what he showed is enough to, to at least be given a you know probably the the lead share of what the starting quarterback would be in in 2017, no matter
1: who they were to draft or trade or whatever the case is? Yeah, Doug, you know, I think that Kessler has earned that right, and he's earned it not just because of, you know, the fact that he's on the roster now, but with his play from last season. And Kessler's a guy that I was kind of high on, you know, coming out of last year's draft class. I mean, I looked at him as a guy that could probably still be in the league, you know, five, ten years from now as that, you know, worst-case scenario for him, long-term backup spot starter type. But I think from the play that he showed last year, and you know, the ability to sort of make some throws that you wouldn't expect from him, whether it was downfield, um, whether it was in that short to intermediate area of the field as well, and he's definitely earned that shot. Yeah, he had the injuries, and there are times when, you know, he would hold on to the ball too long, but sometimes freeze in the pocket. But, you know, even if they get a guy at 12 like Watson or Trubitsky, you know, I, I still think that Kessler is going to have that first crack at, you know, taking over and being the week one starter.
2: Yeah, I think it's interesting too. Kessler's big problem, I think, is his his frame, you know, his body, because I think there's a building there, but I think, you know, last year just he pretty much every time he dropped back, if he got hit it looked like he was kind of going to snap in half. So hopefully he's put on some weight this off season, maybe built up a little bit, but I think he deserves an opportunity too. The other player, I guess, and we're talking about players from last year that I want to mention, we kind of did, we mentioned the Broncos as a possible landing spot. And we've been talking, you know, when Romo was looking uh, to to move him, there was talk of him possibly going to the Broncos, but uh, Paxton Lynch is a player who's been talked off this past week as, you know, reports that he's having trouble, uh, you know, with work ethic, you know, kind of try, trying to get into the playbook and so on that, on the field, he's you know, outshowing Trevor Simeon last year in training camp and so on, but just then when it got to call and plays and so on, you mentioned earlier you know West Coast offense and so on with the, the lingo that you have to pick up to, to run the offense. That seemed to be Paxton Lynch's main issue rather than ability. What did you think of him coming out and then going forward, obviously they, they spent a, a late first round pick on him last year?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, Paxton is sort of an interesting kind of guy to evaluate because, you know, coming out, he was a guy that I had sort of as my QB three in last year's class after Goff and Wentz. And I kind of looked at that. And even though I was lower on him than the other two guys, I kind of admitted that, look, he might have the highest ceiling out of any of them because, you know, in high school he was a win-tee quarterback. And so then he goes to Memphis and he's running sort of their spread offense. And so the learning curve for him was going to be steeper and the development process for him was going to be longer. And he was a guy that I figured would need to sort of sit for year one and really just sort of get acclimated to a, you know, NFL style of offense. Now he was pressed into action a little bit. It was kind of shaky last year when he saw playing time. But I was always looking at him as he was going to be a year two guy and that was when he was really going to be able to get a chance to you know crack a starting lineup and then we'll see what we got in terms of whether he's an NFL quarterback or not you know as far as like the you know work ethic and stuff you know I can't really speak to that because you know I haven't talked to anybody about it but I still think that at least from the talent level where he was when he was coming out and to what we saw from bits and pieces last year I think you know year two was going to be the big one for him and so from what of my understanding is he's going to get his shot to see if he can kind of unseat Simeon as the starter and you know, hopefully for his sake, you know he puts the work in. You know, he sort of, you know, learns that offense, and I think the potential is there. It's just a matter of whether he's going to be able to live up to it.
2: Yeah, and we often see with uh, you know wide receivers, tight ends, or running backs coming into the league how hard it can be to pick up all the play calls. We I talk about it often with tight ends. You know, it takes them two or three years to learn all the different uh, route combinations, and then obviously blocking for runs and so on. So I think with the quarterback changing, you know, so a lot of these college quarterbacks are playing quite simple, you know, one read offenses at the moment. And uh, coming into the NFL can be a huge, huge leap from that perspective. So we'll see how guys like him do, how Jared Goff does, and so on, picking it up in year two. Uh, with all that there, I just want to give Mark the floor. Anything you've got to plug, Mark, at the moment? Obviously, Mark's on Twitter at Mark Schofield. That is F A E L D And uh, obviously, with InsideThePilot.com as well, and the, the Bleacher Report, NFL 1000. Anything else, Mark, that you want to give a plug to?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, first off, you know, Calm, Doug, thanks so much for having me on. Um, like you mentioned, sort of the outside Calm, I mean, you and I have been trying to get together and doing one of these for a while now. And yeah. It just hasn't worked <laughs> out, so uh, I'm just really glad we got the chance to chat here. Um, So thanks again to both you guys for having me on. Doug, I'll see you pretty soon in the ITP Slack. We got that mock draft going on, and I'm going to try to fleece <laughs> you for a pick here coming up. But, um, you know, speaking for, you know sort of about ITP for a second, like we've got the Inside the Pylon Draft guy that's out right now. You can check it out, ITPDraftGuy.com. We kind of put together sort of an NFL you know, scouting department with guys at the top like Dan Hatman, Shane Alexander, Jeff Fair, um, and John Ledger kind of overseeing, you know, what we were doing and then overseeing yeah. our scouts like myself and Ted at quarterbacks, with Brandon Thorne and Sal Conti at offensive line. We had multiple sets of eyes at each position kind of going through, you were going through the tape, doing the evaluations, writing up three reports on these guys and we cross-checked all the work put together our draft board so it's really styled like a actual NFL organization we've got other stuff in there as well we've got sort of our fantasy people like sharona like jessica brand like you know andrew jordan i'm um, doing some fantasy rankings as well we've got interviews with current and former players like mitchell schwartz and geronimo allison about what the draft process is like we've got some analytical data stuff from David Archibald from Jeff Fair as well. So, you know, we've kind of got, you know, basically just a mind dump of all the ITP people and what we've kind of done and the work that we've done for this draft process. So, you know, we people have liked it. People, we've heard some great feedback on it. So if people want to check that out, itpdraftguide.com.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned, like, there, there's just some incredible draft guides out at this time of year. And, uh, you know, the Inside the Python one is no different. It is absolutely at the the top end of that list. So definitely do check that out and uh, follow Mark on Twitter, as I mentioned there, at Mark Schofield. I'm on Twitter as well, at Overtime Ireland. And we all know that Doug's on Twitter as well, at Dmore NFL. Doug, I mentioned, you know, Scout and the draft and so on. We'll be back next week prior to the draft with another show. So I'll give you another chance next week to plug that. But anything else that uh, you want to give a, a mention to you that doesn't take 45 minutes?
0: <laughs> uh, I'll challenge it for thirty. But no, listen. I, I, um, I didn't have a part in, in in this ITP draft guide. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not that. I'm not as smart as the rest of those guys. I. I oh I, come I, on, I, dog. <laughs> when, when, when a when comes to shove, I I didn't have the time to commit. And, and, and let me tell you, I, I, being in in you know the uh, it's weird the Slack chat room. I'll i mention just really, and I know they include that in in the draft guide. These guys are just. Mark mentioned like half of them. There's just so many smart people, so many intelligent football minds over at ITP. Not, not talking about myself, but just so many. No, you're in
1: that, you're in that group, Doug. Don't sell yourself (laughs) short.
0: No apologies. Um, That's
1: our one rule, man.
0: Right, right. Um, but no, I can, I can only attest to, to how much work, how much effort, and just how much intelligence really has gone into that draft. Right. So I definitely want to mention that again. Um, but in regards to plugging other things, um, the only other thing I will mention is uh, I recently did start up. I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but I did uh, start you, up. You I mentioned, the you mentioned it
2: in the uh, the part that I cut out because my mic went to, to shit. Uh,
0: oh, right, yeah. right. It's just, it's just by coincidence. Um, no, yeah, that, but that was I, a
2: coincidence. Um,
0: my, myself and Lee Schechter used to, to cover the Patriots for uh, ESPN Boston. And, uh, works over at Bleacher Report right now. Uh, him and I did start up recently a, a new Patriots podcast. Our first episode dropped last week. Uh, we are going to be having, I believe our next show is tomorrow night. We're still finalizing who we're bringing on and stuff like that. Uh, but that's going on as well. So I, I, I am, um, I'm, I'm doing two podcasts, I guess you could say, um, but no, it, it's really a lot of fun. Uh, Lee and I have been talking about this for quite some time, and and uh, we felt this is the right time to do it. And it's it, our first episode. We went for an hour, and we didn't even realize it, so we had to cut it back a little bit. But a lot of fun over there. So I, I definitely want to give a plug to that as well. Um, in terms of writing, I don't really have anything on the horizon, um, but maybe. But yeah, really, the the ITP draft guy again. Check that out, but also my the, the Patriots podcast that Lee and I are doing. Uh, it's the locker room guys. It's uh, the oh boy, uh, locker <laughs> undersc- underscore. It, it's weird because there were so many other so many other handles taken. It's locker underscore room guys on Twitter. It's a weird one, but uh, you know we got some great stuff going up on there. Um, we're gonna have a show this week, and then we're gonna have a follow-up draft one as well. So definitely check that out.
2: And uh, Doug Doug mentioned as well, uh, well, there's no better way, Doug, to plug something that you're doing by not knowing what it's called. The other part was that Doug (laughs) mentioned it's an hour-long show. That was just 55 minutes of Doug uh, talking to himself. But uh, the other part, it's a great podcast. I listened to last week's one, so definitely do go and uh, check that there out. And, uh, of course, we'll be back next week, as I mentioned, myself and Doug uh, previewing the draft, one last show before the draft, and then... We'll know where all the prospects uh, fall and uh, that should be fun to talk about that throughout the offseason at nauseum. So until we're back next week, myself and Doug, I'd like to thank Mark once again for jumping on the show and uh, until then, have a good one.
0: Thank you for listening to the Overtime Ireland American Football Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at Overtime Ireland. Check out
1: OvertimeIreland.com and continue to spread the word. This has been an Overtime Ireland production.